All right, looks like we got Michael in the back. I'm excited to go ahead and get into it. So first things first, guys, smash up that like. Let's get them going. I want to hear them alarms ringing. Let's get it going here. Let's go ahead and let's bring on our guest. It's time, guys. So hit that like. Let's get into our special guest of the day. All right, let's go ahead. Let's bring on Michael Saylor here. Welcome to it, this co-founder and CEO of Michael Strategy, otherwise known to a lot of people, MSTR, as simple as that. Definitely check it on out. Welcome to the show, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to get into it. I know Chris is super excited also being part of the roadmap. Uh, they, they continuously do coverage on uh, NFTs, cryptocurrencies. So Chris, catch it here with me. We're going to go dive on in. And Chris, are you excited? So excited. Michael, welcome to Benzinga. Uh, Mitch, let's kick off the questions here. All right, let's go ahead. Let's dive on in. First question we want to do is we want to talk about, of course, is the side that I really want to focus on here is before we dive into Bitcoin, let's talk about the micro strategy business with, of course, uh, what do you got for us, Michael? What do you see out there right now outside of Bitcoin right now? How's the micro strategy compared to the, the macro? Yeah, micro strategy is a global enterprise software company. And, and uh, we have average life expectancy of 25 years on our customer base. So like a 95% renewal rate. It's a very stable business. It's a, it's a cash cow business. It's profitable. Um, we do business with all the big airlines and the big banks and the big governments and uh, big retailers all around the world. And they use our software to analyze data and make better decisions. So uh, it's, it's not a super high growth business, but it's a steady business and it throws off a lot of cash. And so hence our strategy, like a, a lot of stable uh, value stocks, if you will, is is uh, we run the business, we grow it as we can when, uh, when we have the opportunity, we keep reinvesting in it, and then we take the cash and we invest it in Bitcoin. The, the software business itself is not very capital intensive, so it's not like a hotel or an airline business where you have to spend billions of dollars uh, investing for future growth. Um, we simply are uh, maintaining an engineering team, we're upgrading the product consistently, and uh, that's built into the P&L. Of course, uh, a lot of people want to know is more along kind of the insights here. How does MicroStratic really provide modern analytics experience to their customers? Um, well, uh, there's a set of tools uh, that we offer people to build applications extremely quickly. And then we have servers and we have clients. So uh, we allow you to build very sophisticated analytic applications to deploy them on smartphones or deploy them on websites we also have uh, cloud services, so you can spin up those applications and give them to hundreds of thousands of people in a matter of minutes or hours, and you don't have to worry about the infrastructure. So if you, if you didn't have that tool set, uh, then you'd have to hand code everything with C++ or Java, and it would take you 100 times as long. It'd be very fragile. So, uh, so that's what we provide. It's, it's kind of like Oracle or SAP, it's a set of enterprise grade tools to do sophisticated and industrial strength things if you're a big organization. 
Definitely. And this, this side, uh, the overall business analytics market revenue is expected to grow at an 11% CAGR. And that's through 2025. Do you still see this on track or are you starting to see a little bit of a slowdown in the industry? Um, we don't give forward looking guidance. Uh, so I, I, I think that the business intelligence software business will be healthy over the long term because our customers have invested uh, decades in their proprietary data sources and their proprietary apps. Perfect. So, Michael, you mentioned cloud a, a moment ago. Can you just talk about how cloud analytics adoption has gone for your company in the first and second quarters of 2022 as we see so many businesses kind of transform to that cloud migration? You know, cloud analytics is the highest growth part of our business, um, you know, anywhere from 20, 30, even 40 percent year over year growth rates there. So that's definitely a bright spot in the business. And I think it was catalyzed by uh, COVID in 2020. And what you saw is a lot of companies decided that they really wanted to migrate applications through on premise to the cloud. And they got comfortable with cloud services. It used to be the cloud was the new scary thing. And then uh, after the lockdowns, uh, cloud became uh, the comfortable, secure uh, path of least resistance for most corporations. Awesome. So one connection we have uh, between Bitcoin and your company in the early days we have this ongoing joke kind of about McDonald's and the crypto world and people maybe having to go work at McDonald's if the price falls too low. Uh, but your company actually signed an early deal uh, with McDonald's. Can you just talk about that deal and how it kind of transformed MicroStrategy and put you guys uh, more brand awareness to land more deals? Yeah, when our company was just uh, 40 employees, um, McDonald's uh, had a problem and the problem is they spend a billion dollars a year or billions of dollars a year on marketing. And so when you buy a lot of advertising and you're buying them in hundreds of different media markets and, and you're buying that advertising every single day, the question is uh, how effective is that marketing expenditure and how does it compare to the previous year? And what, how does it compare to what you would have expected to have achieved if you had done nothing? So um, McDonald's, uh, you know, they say in that business, I know I'm wasting half my marketing budget. I just don't know which half. And uh, they hired us uh, to build a marketing analytics product that would sift through every item sold every hour of the day in every store in the world. Uh, over the course of multiple years, and then they would uh, calculate the correlation of, um, of revenues and profitability uh, versus marketing expenditures. And that's been a, it's been a key application of enterprise analytics for the past 20 or 30 years, and it continues to be a pretty big application, and, and McDonald's has been a customer along that time period. It's been a good relationship. All right, we're here on the line with Michael Saylor, co-founder and CEO of MicroStrategy. Let's go ahead. Let's start diving into the Bitcoin questions here. And are you worried about a margin call? And is there a price that you would be concerned at for Bitcoin overall? No, we're not worried about a margin call. Um, we took a little bit of debt, but it was 20x over collateralized when we did it, which means like a loan to value 4%. 
And uh, and so, I mean, if Bitcoin went to $3,000 a coin, we'd have to post some other collateral, but we have other collateral. And uh, Bitcoin, I don't think it will go to 3000 a coin. <laughs> but but uh, there's a big difference between, say, taking on 10x leverage versus 10% leverage. If you have $5 billion in collateral and you take on 10x leverage, that means you borrowed $50 billion. If you fi have $5 billion in collateral and you take on 10% leverage, it means you borrowed $500 million. So uh, we had, uh, I think when we went into that, $4 billion of collateral, we borrowed $200 million. So it was a, it was a, a very thin layer of leverage. So I, I don't really much concern about it. Um, the key with these things is you have to be able to last through the, the four-year cycles. So uh, when you lay out your strategy, if you can't last for four days or four weeks, right, then you're a speculator or a gambler. But when you're looking out five years in advance and you think about the volatility, then it's an investment strategy. Perfect. I think that leads us perfectly into the next question here. You spoke recently of the four-year cycles in Bitcoin and holding for the long term. In our now, you know, FOMO world that we're living in and what's trending now, can you touch on why this is so important? Yeah, well, I think the entire crypto industry is, uh, has a lot of confusion right now. Um, the industry's had a lot of creativity and people like creativity when they're getting rich, but they're not such a big fan of, of that when it leads to confusion and chaos and they're getting wrecked. So um, as you look out over the next four years, I, I think that the market's looking for order and it wants to, it wants to emerge from the confusion. And until it gets that order, the free market's testing every component. So you have hedge funds testing the stable coins and they're, they're shorting every component in the ecosystem. And if they find something and they can break it, they'll break it. I, I think that you can expect over the next four years, uh, you're going to have um, a variety of things take place. If I look at the future, I think uh, we're going to see guidance and support from the IRS, the SEC, the CFTC, FASB, OCC and FDIC and so that's an important part of the industry growing up. I think that uh, you're going to see uh, broader scale adoption on the layer one of a Bitcoin as a store of value by larger institutions, investors, companies, and a lot more retail investors. I think that uh, you're seeing uh, innovation on the layer two, which is lightning, and the layer three, which is the application layer, like a cash app. You're seeing innovations there in the transactional area or medium of exchange area because you can move uh, you can move transactions a million times quicker and cheaper on a layer two and a layer three. That's an that's an important area to keep your eye on over the next four years. And then I think uh, if you look at the entire Bitcoin economy, layer four is derivatives. Like MicroStrategy stock is a derivative, and GBTC is a derivative. And so you're seeing uh, an, a BTO or spot ETF would be a derivative. You'll see a lot of innovation there. Uh, I think layer five is product. So when you build Bitcoin into a hardware device, uh, a smartphone or a hardware wallet or any other device, that's very interesting. And then layer six is services like building Bitcoin into an insurance product or building it into some other yield product or, or, or the like. So it's it's all of these things are all part of the maturing of the industry and they keep it exciting. 
So, Michael, with that being said, you know, I think one of the big questions for people out there is they want to know, are you buying the dip in Bitcoin? Is MicroStrategy continuing to purchase Bitcoin at these levels that we haven't seen in a year? Yeah, we, we have a simple strategy and our strategy is we just acquire Bitcoin and we hold the Bitcoin. So you could think of it as like dollar cost averaging for a corporation. Um, and, and I think when you're in a uh, chaotic macroeconomic environment, like we're living through where you have a massive expansion in the money supply and then a massive contraction in the money supply and people are being tossed and turned by uncertainty, uh, then, then the best strategy to maintain, your, to maintain your sanity as an investor is you focus on a basket of high quality property, scarce desirable property that you think that affluent, uh, affluent intelligent investors will wanna buy from you in a decade. And of course, we happen to think that Bitcoin is the highest quality, scarce, desirable property. And then once you've figured out what that, that thing is you're going to acquire, then you just keep acquiring it as you have free cash flow. And so MicroStrategy acquires Bitcoin whenever we have uh, extra cash flow available. And because we're a profitable company and we continue to generate cash, we just sweep that cash into Bitcoin and we designate Bitcoin as our treasury reserve asset. And so you, you give me an extra $10 million in cash flow, I convert it to Bitcoin. I don't really focus so much on the next four weeks or 12 weeks or the like, because there's been like three cycles in Bitcoin in the last two years where it, uh, it, it moves up and it moves down. And if you try to time the market, you're going to be very frustrated. But if you look out over four years or six years or eight years, then simply acquiring high quality property with free cash flow is generally a really good investment strategy and it's a good inflation hedging strategy versus just sitting on cash. Perfect. So we talk a lot about education in the cryptocurrency market uh, and people changing their opinions and their minds about this, this great cryptocurrency. So you actually had a kind of bearish take on Bitcoin on Twitter back in 2013. Uh, what was it that made you change your opinion on Bitcoin and really see the light going forward? You have to put time uh, into into your own education process. So, so uh, most people are against Bitcoin before they're for Bitcoin. And if you've only had a few minutes or a few hours to think about it, you know your reflexive reaction is this is scary or dangerous or uncertain, and uh, and that is the case. Now in 2013, there was a lot more uncertainty about how Bitcoin would fare versus eight years later or nine years later. So I think the time helps you get more comfortable with this, uh, both time in the market. I mean, Bitcoin's, you know, moved from a, uh, an asset that uh, was worth nothing 10 years ago to an asset worth hundreds of billions of dollars. So that helps. But I think that the average person needs to spend about a hundred hours in order to understand what Bitcoin is and get comfortable with it. And you're not gonna spend a hundred hours learning a new thing unless you have an incentive. So the big catalytic event that caused a lot of institutional investors and a lot of corporations to discover Bitcoin uh, was the COVID crisis and, and, and the financial crisis that, that kicked off in March of 2020. And I think that's brought uh, a lot of attention to the space and it has uh, catalyzed the, the um, evolution of the asset class. 
Awesome. So we have thousands of cryptocurrencies out there. We, of course, know you and MicroStrategy as, you know, bulls for Bitcoin. Have you yourself ever owned or considered owning any of the other cryptocurrencies out there? Yeah, uh, I have considered all of them, but I only own Bitcoin. And I think the reason why is uh, if you look at the cryptocurrency market, what we call crypto, it really, first of all, they're not currencies. <laughs> Uh, second of all, they're all different. So Bitcoin is a crypto property and, uh, and it's a crypto commodity. And a commodity is something that is, that is issued in a fair fashion without an issuer. And so there's only a handful of cryptocurrencies that might be deemed as crypto commodities. And Bitcoin is 100 times bigger and more stable than any of the other possible crypto commodities. Um, there's a lot of... There's a lot of um, coins that want to be a currency they're stable coins but they're but they're not currencies yet um and so you you know you have sometimes people think something like ust is a currency but ust was an unregistered security not a currency if you will have a currency the question is are you fully backed by collateral and can you redeem the currency uh one for one in uh in a um in a crisis and we're finding that out right now when people tried to redeem UST, it crashed and burned. Uh, they're redeeming Tether aggressively. That's the front page story in the Wall Street Journal today. If Tether is able to redeem billions of dollars worth of Tether, then it will survive. Uh, and if it can't, then it will crash, right? So, so uh, if you're going to invest in these things, you have to understand, is it a commodity and most aren't. 99.9% .9 are not commodities. Is it a currency? If it's a currency, is it fully collateralized or not? And how collateralized is it? And there, there are multiple uh, degrees of that. Is it a security? Uh, most cryptos are securities, but they're unregistered securities, which means there's no full and fair disclosure. So if you're buying a security, like Luna was a security, it could be uh, it could be backed by a nickel of assets for every dollar trading. It could be backed by a penny of assets. It could be not backed at all. Um, it could be not backed at all and inflated, hyperinflated by a factor of 100 tomorrow. So how do you know whether or not you want to hold that for any particular amount of time? There's other cryptos that are tokens, but what's the definition of a token legally? Uh, that has not been decided yet. So the, mar the marketplace is struggling to define currencies, securities, tokens, commodities, what, what's an exchange, what's a crypto bank, what is allowed, what is not allowed. And that is unclear. So the only thing that's clear is there's going to be a 99% failure rate amongst the 20,000 tokens. And so if you're going to invest in them, you're a venture capitalist. You're either a speculator or you're a VC. And if you gave me a billion dollars as a venture capitalist and said, go ahead and invest in crypto stuff, I would take your money and I would do my best to invest in it. But it would be your money, not my money. I would be getting paid if we win. You would lose if we lose. It's a highly risky thing, right? So we're not venture capitalists. We're not speculators. We're savers. And the safe haven, most certain thing in the crypto universe is Bitcoin uh, because it was list, it was issued a, in a fair launch without a pre-mine, without an ICO. The founder never benefited. Satoshi's disappeared. It's truly decentralized. 
It's a commodity. It doesn't have an issuer. And it meets one very straightforward use case, which is store of value. And there's no regulatory ambiguity about whether it's legal or ethical for you to hold a million or a billion dollars of Bitcoin for the next decade as a store of value. Everything else in the crypto ecosystem is uncertain. And uh, there's a huge amount of regulatory overhang. And we're going to have to wait for some number of years before we get the guidance necessary to understand what you can do and how you can do it and who can do it. And, and so that's why we don't invest in that. And I wouldn't recommend an institutional investor or conservative investor to invest in those things. You, you have to have extremely high risk tolerance, either as a speculator or a venture capitalist. Perfect. So you mentioned uh, the COVID pandemic being kind of a more awareness for Bitcoin through that. Uh, some other big events that I know happened, uh, you know, we saw public companies other than MicroStrategy add Bitcoin to their balance sheet like Tesla and Square. Um, and also we saw some countries like El Salvador uh, adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. So in your opinion, what's the bigger deal for public awareness of Bitcoin? Is it a company like Tesla holding Bitcoin or a country like El Salvador adopting as legal tender? Um, I think you get a lot of publicity of companies do things, countries do things. But I, I think that the, the natural progression of adoption is uh, larger and more reputable private investors than uh, private companies then public companies, uh, and then last will be uh, institutions, NGOs, and, uh, and agencies, and, and uh, sovereign wealth funds, and eventually nation states. Excellent. Jumping on back here, and uh, one of the questions that I want to get into is definitely uh, one from Jason Rasnick in the chat here. So I'll go ahead and I'll give it for him here. Michael, would you consider buying a cryptocurrency exchange that has sold off but owns a lot of Bitcoin? Um, no, I, I, I think our strategy is very laser-like. Uh, we think that the, the highest quality, best asset in the world is Bitcoin. Everything else in the world is inferior to Bitcoin. So if you gave me a million dollars and said, what do you want to buy? I don't want to buy a sports team. I don't want to buy a building. I don't want to buy a company. I don't want to buy an NFT. <laughs> All I want to buy is Bitcoin. I don't want to buy an old coin. Uh, if I bought anything other than Bitcoin, it's dilutive uh, to our long-term results. And maybe more importantly, even if... <clears throat> Even if you disagree with me, maybe you thought silver or gold is the best asset in the world. Um, the point is micro strategy, strategy is Bitcoin, <laughs> buy and hold. So if you want to buy gold, you create a company called Gold Strategy and you buy and hold gold. And uh, because we're publicly traded, it's very important to be, be transparent and consistent because if you're a shareholder of micro strategy, you don't want the management team to be unpredictable. You don't want us to hedge. You don't want us to, to change course. You want us to do what we told you we were going to do. And we told everyone our strategy is we run our enterprise software company and we sell business intelligence to the world. And then Bitcoin is our treasury reserve asset. So we sweep our excess capital into Bitcoin. And that way, um, that way they can make decisions. 
right? And, and if, if you want to hedge your bet, uh, if you hate Bitcoin, you can short our stock, right? <laughs> if you love Bitcoin, you can buy our stock. If you think we're 1% likely to be successful, you can buy one per, you put 1% of your portfolio into our stock. So we're allowing other people to control their risk and make their decisions. We, we need to be uh, transparent and steadfast in our strategy. Perfect response there. We got one more from the chat. Chris is going to go ahead and give it. And like I said in the chat, give him some love, guys, for coming on here. Give a thumbs on up. Uh, Chris, what do you got for us from the chat? Michael, last question here. You mentioned uh, regulation briefly. A viewer asked, any concern that the success of Bitcoin may cause regulators to attempt to control or place limitations on crypto in general? Um, I, I think that for the industry to grow up, uh, there needs to be more clarity. Uh, and so the, the key to keep in mind is if you're trying to use the asset as a property, right, and I'm going to hold it for 100 years, it's like property. And then in countries where they don't allow you to own property, like North Korea or in Cuba, Right. The regulators are going to regulate you out of existence because they don't allow property. If you're using the asset as a currency, as a medium of exchange and you want to trade it for coffee every morning, well, it's going to be it's not going to be allowed uh, to be a medium of exchange because the dollar is the medium of exchange in the U.S. and the euro is the medium of exchange in Europe. Uh, those are assets that you can trade tax free and properties are taxed when they're traded. So you're going to get regulated based upon how you use the asset. Um, if you want to create a crypto asset and change the supply every six months, it's not a commodity and it's not a currency. It's a security. And you're going to get regulated as a security. And if you wanted to issue a double or triple supply or change the characteristics of the crypto asset, you would have to file a, um, a registration statement. and You have to file some disclosure to the general public telling them, who made that decision, what other decisions are possible, what the risk factors are. So it's just natural. The regulators are going to regulate assets based upon the way that they're used. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the only way the industry can grow by a factor of 100 is for the currencies to be treated as currencies and for the securities to be treated as securities and for the commodities to be treated as commodities. If you, if you, if you want to be, if you want to have your cake and eat it too, I want to change the supply. I don't want to pay taxes. And I also want to be a commodity, right? Uh, that's just not going to work, right? Because, uh, because no, no regulator can allow that. Uh, it creates too much uh, chaos. Awesome. Well, Michael Saylor, CEO and co-founder of MicroStrategy, uh, on behalf of Ben Zinga, our viewers, our listeners, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule, joining us today on Ben Zinga Live. Uh, Michael, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me.